I'm Scott McGowan. And I'm Anne-Marie Singleton. Now, I think even for our listeners, too, I think what's important is um, we might be right, we might be wrong, but one thing is we're not afraid. Right. And we have a point of view, and I think that people should hear it. And we're unscripted. We just have free reign for 20 minutes. Welcome to Side Effects with an A. Welcome to Side Effects. I'm Scott McGowan. We have an amazing guest with us today, Laura Putnam. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. So this is your first time in Dayton? This is my first time. Well, I appreciate it. And you live in San Francisco? I live in San Francisco, and you know, Dayton looks a lot like San Francisco. It does, if you I've close heard. your eyes. Yeah, yes. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Cool city. Yeah. Really cool city. Yes, both. Yeah, a lot Dayton of traffic. Dayton and San Francisco. A lot of hills. Yes. Uh, but we love our city of Dayton. And you found out yesterday that mm-hmm. the Wright brothers are from our great city. Right. Yes. And the, all this time I thought they were from my home state, which is North Carolina, because of Kitty Hawk. Yeah. But. That's that's funnier for reasons we probably don't have time to go into. Okay. <laughs> because we have friends in the Carolinas that think that that was the birthplace right. of aviation, which is not accurate. <laughs> um, it is first in flight, so that's where it took off. Right. Um, but technically, uh, passionately, aviation was birthed in Dayton, Ohio. Okay, got it. Got it. <laughs> got it. Got it. So Laura is the founder and CEO of Motion and Fusion. And you're in our offices today to talk about a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I wanted to ask you about was um, I, I read parts of your book. Mm-hmm. I've watched you um, speak. Uh, we just met today. We just went on a tour. You really care about what you do. I do. Why? Why not? I, I mean, I think that if you don't care about it, um, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you, it, I mean, I look. I like to look at this as when it comes to our well-being, it's the right thing to do, and it's also the smart thing to do, and it actually starts with each of us. Mm-hmm. So each of us effectively has a choice as to whether or not we're going to do something to address this tidal wave of poor health and well-being that we're seeing as a, as a country and increasingly as a world. And um, so are we going to do something about it? I like that you know, use the word like tidal wave. Yeah. Because I'm curious, mm-hmm. uh, when we talk about health care costs and spend and disease state, um, how much pain do we need? Like how much is it, what, what's it going to take? <laughs> right. When is it going to be enough? You know, I often will say to people, I, I, you know, I think we hear a lot about uh, the fact that about one in 10 of us are diabetic or the fact that heart disease continues mm-hmm. to be the number one killer. But, or of, of, of course, that a third of us are obese now and another third of us are overweight. But one thing I think that we may not necessarily think about is the impact that it's having on our children. Oh, yeah. So for our children, it's estimated that one in four will become diabetic at some point in their lifetime. And already one in five of our children are obese, not just overweight, but obese. And if trends continue, it's likely that our children will have a shorter life expectancy than we do. Yeah, you know, I, so I speak to some universities mm-hmm. and students, and I love saying this to them because it scares them to death. All right. But it's super honest, is, hey, look, um, I got some bad news for you. Um, I have to pay for the generation behind me. Right. Which is like my dad and other people, and their, their habits um, maybe weren't that great, uh, but they weren't as bad as my generation's habits. Mm-hmm. Plus, the food was completely different. Right. Because it's super complicated. But so I'm paying for the future generation, and I'm going to look at a younger generation to take care of me, hopefully. Um, that generation today can't afford poor health. 
right. on the backs of pain for this generation. You know, it, it, getting back to what you were talking about, that habit, we often hear the expression that we're creatures of habit, but I would argue that in fact we are more creatures of culture. Mm -hmm. And so if we're looking at this on a generational basis, I, I wonder, are, when we hear this, this concept that health is really about taking personal responsibility, I really think that it's more about what are we going to do about this as a society. Mm -hmm. So we can say that, say, getting active is about taking personal responsibility, or we can look at the fact that our neighborhoods are better designed for our cars than they are for mm -hmm. us getting physically active. Or if we talk about what we're eating, we only need to look at most of our grocery stores to see that our shelves are lined with food-like substances that are filled with sugar, salt, and fat. Mm -hmm. So this is something that on a generational level, uh, we need to start looking at this at a cultural, on a, on yep. a cultural society. And what I liked about your book too, and what I liked about a couple of things that I saw was um, this, this um, kind of statement around the mindset yeah. and mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Because my, my personal opinion about personal health is um, your health, it's an inside job. It's inside mm -hmm. of you. Mm -hmm. uh, and then um, you talk a lot in your book about uh, like the rule of three. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about your book, uh, Workplace Wellness, that works. Uh, and it's a great book. Thank you. And, but you say things like um, a movement. Mm -hmm. You've got to create a movement. Yes. So, because people are moved by a movement, they're uh -huh. not moved by a program. Yeah, and you've got some stories in there about some companies. Yeah. Like especially the, uh, was it the CEO of a United Way? or a leader of the United Way that went on a walk for 11 years in a row. And, and that's actually still running. So that's the, the small United Way in Sioux Falls, mm -hmm. South Dakota. And it was actually the CFO. Gotcha. And she decided that she was going to take personal mm -hmm. responsibility for her health. She had recently quit smoking. So she decided that she was going to start walking twice a day every day. So she mapped out a mile route outside and inside. And she decided that the only way that she was going to get herself to do this was to get her coworkers to join her. Yeah. So she made everybody join her, and they've actually been doing this now for almost 14 years running. Which, that's, a, so you say in the, in the book, it's yeah. like it can be a movement of one. That's right. right. So it can be a, a movement started by right. one, but as this smart person understood, this smart CFO understood, that it's a lot harder to do that by yourself than if you get people to join your movement. And then you talk about uh, like social context. Mm -hmm. So so unpack that for me just a little bit. Well, we're we're creatures of uh, you know we want to be in connection with one mm -hmm. another. We are social creatures, and so what we know is that while we can pay th people to make change, um, that will at best get p people in the door, but mm -hmm. it will never keep them there. And yeah. so what are those factors that really keep people engaged with making behavior change mm -hmm. so that they can become healthier? And one of those, the deepest needs that we have is to be in connection with one another. Mm -hmm. So we all have a deep need for relatedness. We also have a deep need for things like feeling a sense of mastery. We have a deep need for autonomy, as in don't tell me how to do it mm -hmm. <laughs> or don't tell me when to do mm -hmm. it. Uh, let me make my own choices. We all know this with children, of course. You always have to give them choices. Mm -hmm. uh, but the same is true for adults as well. That's super interesting because I think sometimes in a wellness strategy, mm -hmm. um, it's one size fits all. Right. And that's just not going to be very effective. Of course not. It's just not. Right. Uh, and I love what you said is like don't tell me how to do it or right. when to do it. 
right. give me a bunch of choices. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. super interesting. And then the last uh, is so then culturally. So we've got a movement, social issues, socially, what does that mean? So culturally, what, is, like, what does that mean? Well, like I said, we're creatures of culture. And so every organization has an opportunity to be able to create an oasis of well-being to, or a culture of well-being mm -hmm. to counter the effects of our larger toxic culture. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's really what the, the tidal wave stems from, is the fact that we collectively have created a culture and an environment of poor health. And so every company, every organization can think about, okay, how can we create a little oasis of well-being mm -hmm. here so that when people step in the door, they know that they have stepped into a culture and an environment mm -hmm. of well-being. Yeah, because I think from an employer's perspective, and we were talking about this a little bit today, mm -hmm. is you have disease um, in your workforce, whether you have employee benefits or not. Right. And the fact of the matter, do you understand what that's costing you? Now, that's a, that's a financial conversation, mm -hmm. cost. Mm -hmm. But what's your motive for creating a healthier workforce? Right. Is it coming from a place of it's the right thing to do? Mm -hmm. Or is it coming from a place of it's the smart thing to do and I hope I'm going to save some money? Mm -hmm. And the minute it comes from that place, people can smell that. Right. And so then it becomes a, a, a matter of transaction. So, and so that's where people start to check the box. Oh, yeah. Because they know it's coming mm -hmm. from that place. So they're like, okay, well, screw you. I'm just going to uh -huh. check the box. Yeah. But I'm not going to actually make any fundamental changes in my life. Whereas when people feel like that their organization actually cares about them, and this is something known as perceived organizational mm -hmm. support, and that's perceived. when it comes from a place of that it's actually the right thing to do. That's when I think people really mm -hmm. start to make change. I think people really get, um, I think people can smell a motive right. from a mile away. Right. Uh, and pe what people love is authenticity. Yes. And in your book, so you walk through these like 10 steps. Yeah. And part of those steps is, let's just get to the authentic truth. Mm -hmm. So what is that? Like, what is that? We don't have to get a glue gun and bedazzle a bunch of stuff right. to make it look sexy. If our mission isn't sexy, let's just, it is what it is. It's right. honest. Uh, and I love that. I love that, that, uh, that concept. And then you, uh, in your book also, it talked about the, uh, and I love the rule of three. So it was feet, fork, and fingers. So David Katz, who, um, is the head of the Prevention Research Center at Yale University, talks about those feet, fork, and fingers, and that if we were to just do those three things, as in eat healthy, get active, and stop smoking, then collectively, we mm -hmm. as a country could actually prevent between 70 to 90% of the major chronic mm -hmm. diseases. Now, to your earlier question though, a lot of this comes down to the mindset that we mm -hmm. have. And do we have a mindset that is conducive to actually making mm -hmm. those basic changes like stop smoking, eat healthy, and get active? And that's the hard part. And that's where we need to think more about how do we start a mm -hmm. movement that will really inspire people to make lifelong change. Yeah, it's, and, and your book kind of walks through each of those steps. Yes. And the biggest rule of three in your book, at least what I got out of it, mm -hmm. was uh, start it, build it, make it last. Yes. So, and the sustainability of that right. is really important. Right. Because the word wellness, it me, it's, I mean, I've told people this publicly before, is like I love ice cream and I love my wife, but I love them in two completely different ways. <laughs> 
Okay. Um, hopefully. But when you say wellness to one crowd, they think it's a 5K run with, um, you know, uh, you know, with a, with a Fitbit. That's our wellness strategy. Right. That's not a wellness strategy. That's an activity strategy. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And then there's this, there's, there's this other term of wellness, uh, which, which you talk about strategically uh, in the book. Uh, because I think it's, it's confusing for people to understand what that means to them. Right. And then if, so if I'm a smaller employer, so if I'm not Patagonia or I'm not Google and I don't have this huge nest egg of investment, right. um, does it matter? Does wellness matter? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, really what that. wellness comes down to is, do I have the energy that I need to be the best that I can be every day? And that's wellness. Did I get enough sleep mm -hmm. so that I can have the energy that I need? Am I eating healthy so that I have the energy that I need? Am I getting enough activities so that I have the energy that I need? Am I connected with people so I have mm -hmm. a reason for even being here? Do I feel connected to my community? Am I stressed out by my finances? Mm -hmm. Do I hate my job? Mm -hmm. So um, that's where we also start to see really the connection between well-being and large issues that we're up against, like the rates of disengagement. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know that 70% of the workforce is disengaged with their work. And we've tended to see, you know, kind of put this in two different buckets, but actually the two go hand in hand. So, for example, Gallup has found that the number one predictor of people who are overall thriving are those people who love what they do. Mm -hmm. The people that when you ask them, are you excited to get up in the morning to go to work, they can give an authentic yes. You know, one of the things too that we, so we've talked about here at McGowan Braybender for the last six months is the healthy mind platter, which is about uh, mindfulness. Right. So it unpacks sleep time, play time, connecting time, connecting time with others. Right. Time in, time out. Uh, and then from the highest level, it was like, that sounds really sappy. Mm -hmm. But it's exactly what you're talking about. It's a well, mindset. Absolutely. And, and, you know, this is uh, the work of particularly um, people like Barbara Fredrickson with the University of North Carolina, who is the leading positive psychologist. And she uses the analogy of a lotus flower, which is when we are, when we have a positive mindset, the lotus flower, which is like our mind and our receptivity, opens. And so we're receptive mm -hmm. to new ideas. And we kind of, create the pathway for sustainable change. Whereas when we're in a negative mindset, our lotus flowers closes. So I often wonder if these well-intended wellness programs oh, it are, are, are much like mm -hmm. uh, they're kind of being rained down on all these closed lotus flowers. Mm -hmm. And so you have a negative culture, for example. So everybody's coming to work with their lotus flower closed. They're like, don't bother me, right? They're like this all day. And so all of these programs get rained on them and they just mm -hmm. repel off of them as opposed to coming in with an open mindset. Yeah, and it's super confusing. One of the things you also talk about is, uh, and I love this, so like sitting's the new smoking. Yep. So normally um, there's a chair behind <laughs> us, uh, but because I saw you passionately talk about that, somebody here said, let's get rid of the chairs. Uh, and I love two. that we're standing. Yeah, because mm -hmm. uh, it, it's a big deal. It is. It's a really big deal. Yes. To just get up and move. Well, and the problem is, is that we as human beings, we are biologically programmed to move. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that we are culturally mandated to sit. So we have effectively created a massive biological mm -hmm. cultural mismatch. And so the question is, how do we start to 
to close that divide. So doing small things like this, mm -hmm. where we conduct our interview where we're standing as opposed to sitting, is a nice way to do that. So yeah. well done, Scott. Well, I'm about <laughs> as manic as they come. So sitting does, is, right. I'm, I'm not a very patient. You're a fidgety person, person, which is good. Yeah. Did you enjoy writing the book? I loved it and hated it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can sense the fact that one is, um, you deeply care about what you do. I do. And you do a really, really good job. Thank you. Uh, and then, so, so if I want to buy your book, how do I, how do I buy your book? Thank you for asking. Yes. Well, you can go uh, to any of the, the mm -hmm. major distributors, so Barnes and Noble, Amazon, uh, or you can go direct to the publisher, Wiley. It's available. Well, we've got a lot of guests here too, so we've got your book um, yeah. to our guests that are uh, that are here today. Thanks um, to Health Stat. And then thanks for um, thanks for making a difference, um, and thanks for putting a dent. Thanks. In this, uh, in this and conversation. likewise, I was so impressed with what I saw here today on the tour. Well, we're, uh, we are grateful that you are here. Thanks. So join us next time on Side Effects. Thanks for listening and opening your mind. If you're interested in learning more, you can reach us at scott at healthierbirthdays.com. Or ann at healthierbirthdays.com. We hope you'll join us next time on, on Side, Side Effects. Effects.